Yeah, I think it'd just be a cool look for us if we were just like. Is this on? Yeah, I threw it on like a couple minutes ago. Oh. Welcome to Top Men's Talk. Welcome to Top Men's Talk. I'm your host, Tim Kamarash, with my co-host, Marcin Kazmarski. What's up, guys? And, uh, you know, we're kicking this off, the most formal, informal uh, footy podcast there is at this point. Uh, you know, we've just been talking to each other about footy for years, and we figured it would be a cool idea to talk to everybody about it and yeah. interesting subjects. Yeah, we've been talking about football since, what, middle school at this point? Yeah, so it's probably. Been a, been a long been a while. Time. Yeah, middle school was a while ago, wasn't it? Uh, but anyway. We're getting old. Uh, so, yeah, we kind of hope everybody listens. That would be a good idea. Uh I mean, yeah, I hope somebody listens because we've yeah. spent a lot of time and effort into this. Yeah, now. this is a this is a investment. You know, anybody interested in doing one? Uh, but anyways, we're gonna go ahead and cover uh, some top transfers. We're gonna go over some European competition. Uh, we're gonna focus a lot on Syria today. Uh, so let's get straight into it. We're gonna go into the top five leagues, top financial transfers, and see how that looks. So Marson's gonna take the lead on that one. Cool. So I'm gonna start with the league that we're probably gonna cover. Let's, let's be realistic, the least amount over the course of our time doing this podcast, yeah. and that's Ligue 1. Yeah. So there's not too much stuff that I can't see really talking about besides like PSG. Mm. Uh, but in terms of their big top five transfers, so these transfers are all monetary. So this is excluding any kinds of loans or loans with options or anything like that. It's, it's the club actually paying the fee outright for the player. So the top five transfers in Ligue 1 were uh, Ben Yetter going to Monaco for 44 mil. Um uh, Idris Gouet from Everton to PSG for 35. Abdou Diallo going to PSG for 34. Uh, Jeff uh, Adelaide for uh, 27 mil going to Lyon. And then Renato Sanchez going from Bayern Munich to Lille. Um, so, I mean, at those five transfers, do any of those kind of stand out to you or something you kind of want to look into? So, Lyon has kind of developed this reputation for reviving certain careers. I mean, if you look at Memphis Depay is a great example of it. He completely flopped at Manchester United, and then he came here to, you know, to Lyon, and he's having a great time over there. So, I'm really hoping the same can be said for Renato Sanchez. Uh, I feel that his glow-up was too soon. I feel like when he was involved with that Portugal squad during their, uh, you know, European runs, uh, it all came real quick to him. And the move to Bayern as well. So I hope he takes, uh, you know, I don't want to say the least competitive out of the top five, but, uh, you know, definitely the one with the reputation for being a farmer's league. Uh, I hope he gets a lot of time inside that midfield. And, uh, you know, with Lil, they're a fantastic club, and I think they take care of their players very well. What about you? Anything standing out? I mean, I, I'd 100% agree with you about, on the Renato Sanchez thing from Bayern to Lille. I mean, he didn't get his, his time in a Bayern. He had a very competitive midfield to kind of really push his way into the top side. And like you mentioned, um, Lee Gunn definitely has had that reputation of reviving careers. You saw it with also like Mario Balotelli. He absolutely t- tore it up in the yeah, league, yeah. becoming one of the best goal scorers there. Um, so Renato, I think he can kind of really go into his own. Uh, I mean, he like you mentioned, he was the golden ball, uh, golden boy winner a couple years ago during that uh, tournament. So people had a high expectations for him when he transferred to Bayern. He was kind of expected to be that new up and coming rising star. And he's kind of like stayed at a certain like stagnant point. Um, so I'm kind of expecting big things from him moving forward into the new year, and I'm, I'm really hoping to see good things and him really buckle down to a starting 11 spot and really kind of make it make it his own in, in the league. Yeah, maybe you know with that Adrisa Gay signing, maybe uh, you know maybe a little uh, Leandro Paredes back to Roma. I don't know. I'm just hopeful. Maybe I was a big <laughs> fan. I'm gonna I'm gonna let that one go and we'll move on to the next league. <laughs> He's still in Zenit, right? I uh, no, he went to PSG. Oh, now he's at PSG. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, cool. So, so the next league that we're going to really talk about is the Bundesliga. And if you look at the Bundesliga, a lot of action really happened between the top two teams. So it was Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich. Um, obviously, the, the big thing that Bayern really focused on was re kind of uh, rejuvenating their defense, which was like a big, uh, big thing that they kind of started off the summer with. So you had the most expensive signing in the league was Lucas Hernandez going from uh, Atletico Madrid to Bayern for 82 mil. Uh, you also had Matt Hummels leaving Bayern to go back to Borussia Dortmund uh, for 40 million. You had uh, Benjamin Pavard going from Stuttgart to Bayern for 37. Uh, Demirabe going from Hoffenheim to Leverkusen for 34, and then Lukman going from Everton to, to Leipzig for 27. Um, personally, like 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 I just, like I just mentioned, uh, Bayern really wanted to rejuvenate that defense and make it a little bit younger. So Lucas Hernandez and Benjamin Pavard being big crucial parts of the defense moving forward. Um, that, that's huge. I mean, that, that that club's spent 120 million um, for hopefully the defensive partnership for the next decade. I'm assuming they're hoping they spend that much money. Um, I mean, do you have any thoughts on on any of those big transfers? I mean, you know, if you're looking at it, it feels like every time Bayern Munich makes a move to rejuvenate themselves, it's at Borussia Dortmund's expense. <laughs> they sent Mats Hummels. Yeah, they've done that so many times. Aged Mats Hummels back over to Borussia Dortmund for the second most expensive signing of the window. Which is uh, which is a, an eyebrow raiser for me, but actually the the transfer that I was actually really interested in was Lookman, because uh, he he's one of those English players that seems to just be really adapting to uh, to German leagues, and uh, you know he was at Everton prior, but he's just uh, he's a fantastic forward uh, in the sense that his positioning is really amazing. I don't think he gets enough credit for it. Uh, he always seems to put himself exactly where he needs to be. And uh, as somebody who coaches and as somebody who works with younger players, uh, that's something that you always pay special attention to is, okay, he's young and, you know, he's got all the physical assets, but what is he bringing to the team? And I think, you know, he's going to be somebody to keep an eye out for definitely double digits this season in goals for me. I mean, that'd be hopeful for, for that club. I mean, if he could do that, maybe they can get themselves and retain that Champions League position that they've kind of kind of expect to be at with, with the new star signing, especially at forward. Cool. Well, the next league that we kind of wanted to go over was the Prem. So the Prem is obviously the most popular league in terms of a lot of different things, TV rights, um, money spent. It's, it's all, Everybody kind of hypes up the Prem a lot. Uh, and obviously a lot of huge transfer fees were shelled out in the Prem this year. Uh, top five transfers in terms of fees spent in the Prem this year were uh, obviously Harry Maguire, uh, almost 100 mil going from Leicester to Manchester United. You had Nicolas Pepe going from Lille to Arsenal for close to 90. Uh, you had Rodrigo leaving Atletico Madrid to go to City for in the mid-70s. You had João Cancelo going uh, from Juventus to Man City, also in, in the low 70s. And then you had Ndombele leaving Lyon uh, to go to Tottenham for mid-60s. Um, so what, are you, what are your thoughts on some of those transfers? I mean, Jack Cancelo, you know, why would you... Yeah, I mean, why would you want to leave a club in Juventus that's that's looking dangerous and looking interesting uh, to be behind Kyle Walker at Manchester City? Uh, I understand the appeal of working with Pep Guardiola is is really irresistible to a lot of professional players, especially the reputation he's got himself as being, you know, one of the one of the top coaches in the world at this point. Uh, you know, so Jao sticks out to me because I, that just seemed out of the blue. Uh, coming for it, and uh, I, I think if I remember correctly, you have a pretty strong opinion about the whole Harry Maguire transfer. 
yeah, we talked about this a little bit before. Obviously, we started recording. But yeah, Harry Maguire, um, the amount of money that was spent on him, uh, I'm just going to flat out and say he's an overhyped donkey. That's that's just my <laughs> honest opinion of Harry Maguire. Uh, I just think it was just so much money. He hasn't really shown me anything. And, and obviously, it's, it's early in the season, and, and he has to adapt to a new club and work out a relationship with his teammates. Yeah, I get that. Uh, but he hasn't just really shown me anything that's made him worth that kind of transfer. I mean, almost $100 million. Uh, I mean, a lot of people overhyped and not overhyped, but like kind of made a big deal about the fee that Juventus paid for Delict and how much they spent on him. And then you had somebody like Harry Maguire being spent even more than on Delict. Uh, and he just really hasn't shown me anything in terms of his play on the field to really warrant that fee. Um, so that's why my kind of uh, description of him as an overhyped donkey is, is kind of going to stick for a couple episodes in the podcast, at least until he kind of shows me more glimpses and kind of gets more consistent. I mean, you had a guy that's more expensive than Delict, more expensive than Virgil van Dijk, some of the best defenders in the world. And he, he I don't think he's, he's worth that kind of fee. I don't think he's at that level of those kind of top tier guys. Yeah, and you know, on a more positive note for the Premier League signings, yeah, I I really think uh, Rod Rodrigo or Rodri, as people like to, yeah. Yeah, like to call him, so Nicknames. he uh, yeah for days. Uh, so yeah, with him, I think Pep has his man. I think he is exactly what Pep is going to need to solidify his team for coming years. Obviously, you know, you had a, a Fernandinho was uh, again he's getting up there in age, and uh, he just. I mean, he just seems to fit right into Pep's plans, and I and I understand, you know, you would you wouldn't drop that kind of money if you didn't think that was going to happen. But you look at, you know, Nicholas Pepe, and uh, he's I don't know, he's uh, he's not settled in yet. It's obviously a different beast, the Premier League. Uh, you know, Fabio Barini was recently quoted uh, when they asked him. Uh, yeah, and I'm snickering at Fabio Barini, but he was quoted uh, because they had asked him, you know, where, where do you think is playing harder, Syria or playing in the Premier League? And, uh, you know, he said, you know, with the with Syria, it was something to the effect of, you know, with Syria, you have to be positioning yourself and that it's a lot more tactical. Whereas with the Premier League, you tend to get more goals if you're the faster player. And, you know, very few people are faster than uh, Pepe. So I, you know, I think he's got a good future lined up at Arsenal. He's got a good coach uh, and he's got a pretty decent team around him. So I hope he uh, I hope he succeeds. Nothing but the best for him. Yeah, yeah, that that uh, attack of Lacazette, Obama, Young, and Pepe is definitely going to give some somebody some problems this year. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, the next league that we're going to talk about, and it's probably the league that had the uh, let's just say biggest headline kind of transfers going on over the course of the summer, was La Liga. So in La Liga, you had uh, I think the three most expensive transfers of the summer happened in La Liga. And that was João Felix leaving Benfica to go to Atletico for over 120 mil, 130 mil. Uh, you had Antoine Griezmann leaving Atletico to go, go to Barcelona, which at, at long last happened because I'm <laughs> sure he's wanted that move for oh, how many years now? Years. Um, over 100 mil as well. You had Eden Hazard leaving Chelsea to go to Real Madrid, also over 100 mil. Uh, you had Frankie Jong leaving Ajax to go to Barcelona, and then you had Luka Jovic leaving Frankfurt to go to Real Madrid. Um, so you know me, I really like João Felix. I like this transfer a lot. I know it's a lot of money spent. Uh, but I watched uh, a lot of Atletico actually in the preseason, and he just looked the part. Like, he was scoring goals, he was positioning himself well, and for a kid that's not even 20 years old to be playing like that and at his level, uh, like, the sky's the limit. Like, I definitely see a future Ballon d'Or, top tier, um, bet, like, best player in the world kind of candidate in, in João Felix in terms of his potential. And, I mean, to start off the uh, season, I mean, he's really kind of shown himself that he's, he's got that talent, he's got that potential, 
Uh, he kind of obviously needs to get accustomed to the league. It's, it's different going from playing um, in Benfica in the Portuguese league. No offense to the Portuguese league. But it's completely different than playing in La Liga. So I think once he fully makes that transition, you're going to see even another another level, another gear up from João Felix moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, with him, I'm just going to I'm gonna go ahead and piggyback on that. I think he's the signing uh, of the season. As far as what it means for uh, his club, Atletico Madrid are definitely at a point of flux in their in their club uh, with the amount of players that had left. So, I mean, big statement signing. I mean, they're really saying, you know, we're here to play with the big boys. And, you know, just because we had an, an exodus of players, including Griezmann, you know, they're, they're really turning around and saying, well, we're, you know, we're one to keep an eye on. And I really think that that kind of kept them in this three-horse race for La Liga. I don't think, I mean, had they not signed João Felix, I think that's, that's really the key that's turning the door for them to get into that, you know, upper echelon of, uh, of uh, Spanish clubs. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, I mean, the other two teams in that three-horse race, like you mentioned, spent big to get new players. You had Antoine Griezmann obviously leaving Atletico to go reinforce Barcelona, and then you had Hazard going to Real Madrid. So those top three teams have each kind of spent a ton of money on a whole new central forward attacker that they're going to kind of headline that system to. Um, so it's going to be really curious about how this season kind of pushes forward, especially with the attacking power that Barcelona have. Uh, if Eden Hazard can kind of transition to La Liga and really kind of kick himself off because he, he's been injured for the start of the season. And we're going to see if João Felix can, can kind of continue that trend and really keep pushing in uh, and kind of building his uh, his repertoire up a little bit more. Yeah, and I just, I needed if, you know, I would be uh, I would be kicking myself if I didn't give uh, the shouts to uh, Frankie de Young is just, he's such a quality player. Like, I, I think any club in the world would want him in their midfield. Uh, he just makes everyone around him better. So in a, in a star-studded top five of top signings, it's really refreshing to see, you know, the, the true center mid that gets up and down the pitch looking to get involved uh, in there as well. So uh, nothing but love for that guy, Frankie yeah. de Young. I mean, Frankie's going to have a lot of good players to pass through because you got to think about it. He's going to have... Suarez, he's going to have Griezmann, he's going to have Lionel Messi. So that's the people that you're relying on to finish your chances and to give you assists. I think he's going to do fine. Yeah, he's going to have a good look. Cool. And then we're going to kind of end things off with the uh, favorite league on the channel, if you want to call it that. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're going to we're going to end things off with Serie A. So in Serie A, your last five, or excuse me, top five transfers of the actual window in terms of monetary spent were obviously... Uh, Romelu Lukaku um, came in just a hair over Matthias Delict's uh, transfer. So in the mid-80s, you had obviously Delict leaving Ajax to go to Juventus for close to $80 million. Uh, you had Chucky Lozano going from uh, PSV to Napoli for around $40 mil. You had Danilo uh, leaving Manchester City to go to come back to Juventus, or excuse me, not to come back, to come to Juventus for almost $40 million. And then uh, one of your homeboys, Kostas Manolas, leaving Roma to go to Napoli. Yeah, that one, that one stung a bit. Uh, that one's stung a bit, but we'll get into, uh, in not too long, we'll get into uh, why I'm not too hurt by it. But obviously, I mean, he's just got himself in folk, uh, folklore history at Roma with that uh, with that header uh, against uh, Barca. So uh, it's really funny because uh, Roma, sometimes uh, our fans have a tendency to have really strong opinions about players who have left the club. Or uh, in some cases, some players who have gone on loan recently also having strong opinions about them. Uh, but across the board, uh, everybody just had nothing but respect uh, for Manolas for how he handled getting transferred and you know how he gave so much of his career to the club. 
So, you know, as much as it's some, uh, nobody, nobody, I don't think, in their right minds as a Roma fan can wish him anything but the best for it. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's funny, like, obviously, Manolas was one of the biggest transfers, but before De Ligt was really um, a more realistic option for Juventus in some, I was really all for Manolas coming to Juve if, if he was going to transfer and leave Roma to go anywhere else. I know this has been a thing that some Roma players have come to Juve over the last few years, like like Miralem Pjanic, for example. Uh, but if Manolas came, I would have been completely stoked with him joining that back line with Benucci and Chiellini. I think that would have been great, but obviously... It looks a, a different, a different animal. I mean, the yeah. fee is a completely different amount of money being spent. So um, that's good. That's kind of like going to be the main one for me to watch. Obviously, I'm a little bit more biased because I'm a Juventus fan. Uh, but I, I have real high hopes for Delict. Like I mentioned, with Jao Felix being that kind of like next generation of superstar, I think you can see that in Delict as well, especially with his time uh, at his former club and with the national team. I mean, he just puts in good performances. Uh, a lot of people gave him a lot of stick for his initial first performance with uh, with Juventus against Napoli, but you you have to kind of kind of give him a little bit of slack on that one. I mean, it's it's his first appearance in the in the league. Um, dude, like Kilini was literally injured and torn his ACL the day before the game, and then Delic's just kind of thrown into the lineup against Napoli very last minute. Uh, he, I'm sure he wasn't expecting to be starting that game. So, and I mean, you, you're you're still 19. You still have some kind of nerves. So yeah. I'm sure he wasn't 100% composed in that game, which obviously some people say that he made some mistakes. Um, but I, I, I think that's just going to be kind of uh, put to the wayside moving forward. I think he's going to really uh, knuckle down, especially after watching uh, him play the, the national team. I think he's just pure quality. He's going to show that throughout the rest of the campaign. I'm, I'm not really concerned with his performance moving forward. Yeah. So what do you what do you make of uh, what do you make of Rome? What do you make of uh, Conte getting his man? I mean, he loved him while he was at Chelsea. I mean, he got two of his guys. He got not only Lukaku, but he also got Alexis Sanchez. I mean, that was a guy that yeah. also was very yeah. much heavily linked with Conte and, and with Juventus during uh, both their tenures there. Um, so I think I think Lukaku and Sanchez are, are great players. Obviously, Sanchez isn't the same player that he was at his time at Udinese back mm-hmm. in the day. Um, so I'm curious to see how he'll kind of readapt back to playing in the Serie A. Uh, I mean, Lukaku's, I think he has two goals in the opening two rounds already. So, I mean, he's got himself on the score sheet, which is a good sign for him. So that means he's going to start uh, scoring goals. Um, so, I mean, that's, I don't, I don't see any issues with Lukaku moving forward. I think he's going to pop in goals. I, I, like, yeah. I can't see him not scoring. He's just, a, he, there's, there's so many few, uh, so few center backs that can honestly cover him. Because he's such a big dude. Like, the guy's massive. <laughs> and he moves. And yeah. he, contrary to what everybody says about the guy, if you look at how he plays, he does move. I think he caught such a bad rap at Manchester United because that was just a club in flux. Like, continual flux. Like, it, it just, there was no continuity. And as, you know, Rome is definitely comes off as a confidence player. Like, when he's feeling it, he is, he is giving center backs problems. He's jostling at set pieces. Like he is getting the work in. And when you have, you know, when you're a confidence player and your manager's changing every so often and the players you're playing with are changing even more frequently, it's how what how can you develop any kind of continuity? You the know? system too. The system. Absolutely. And so, you know, for him to go to to, to Inter is a is a great look. I think it's just definitely a good look for him. So obviously we're, you know, we're definitely going into Syria more so than any other league. Uh, for today's planning so uh, we're actually going to go ahead and go into any interesting transfers that uh, that you saw or that I saw in Syria uh, that uh, stuck a note to me or to yourself so did you have anybody in mind that uh, that stuck out to you transfer wise um, I mean definitely a big transfer that I kind of kept my eye on was, was Raja Nangolan leaving mm. Inter to go to Calgary yeah good I job. mean 
I mean, that team's kind of built a couple good pieces around Raja to kind of reinvent themselves and kind of push them more, not from like a bottom uh, half of the table to like a mid-table club and kind of try to elevate that club up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think Raja is definitely going to be a big play, uh, key player for the season moving forward, especially if he if he's motivated, which it seems like he is. I mean, he posted a really cool little thing on I think on Twitter or Instagram that he that he doesn't care about the money that he went to back to Calgary for the love of the club. Yeah. I mean, that's something that's kind of rare nowadays in football, um, not to care about the money and really go back for where your passion is. He spent so much time there. Um, so I think Nyingalan is definitely going to be a guy that I want to keep my eye on um, this season for sure, just because, I mean, that guy's talented. He's been playing uh, for how many yeah. years? It killed me when he left. <laughs> it killed me when he left Roma because uh, I would have rather I would have rather gutted the whole front office than let him leave. He, was, uh, he loved the club so much. He... Uh, he was such. Uh, he was so involved, and uh, you know he caught a bad rep because you know everybody was saying, "Oh, he's going out clubbing and he drops off in form," but he's a competitive guy. You know, he. I distinctly remember uh, one friendly where uh, he wore the ten kit for a friendly because Totti was not playing in that friendly, and uh, I don't think there were any fans or players on that team that rose an eyebrow when he did that because everybody knew it was with so much love like he loved playing for that club and you know you could see it he just never really cared to be at inter uh and you know it is what it is but uh one for me that i thought was uh was really interesting was uh speaking of former roma players uh stefano akaka from watford um so stefano uh had a pretty good run at watford uh he had some he had a pretty decent reputation coming out of there uh, Watford as well, uh, you know, not to get that, you know, sidetracked to the EPL, but Watford themselves are a club that are making, that made a couple changes. So uh, Okaka to Udinese is, I think that's such a good move uh, because, you know, Kevin, Kevin was uh, flying by himself up top there. Kevin Lozano was not, <laughs> was not looking like he had a ton of support for me. Uh, obviously, you know, with uh, Rodrigo De Paul on that team too, like that's, I mean, that's such a great, there's so much room for potential in there. Um, so, you know, with that, uh, there's so much potential, but I, I just don't know defensively how they're looking, uh, you know, coming into this season. But I had to give uh, Okaka a shout as well. Um, there was one we were talking about, Bobby Duncan from Liverpool to Fiorentina uh, for uh, the modest amount of 500K. Uh, he is a pocket course, change. Yeah, pocket change, yeah. Uh, he's, of course, Steven Gerrard's cousin which is the biggest deal to every fan in the world whenever they talk about this kid. Uh, but his big problem right now, at least from my point of view, is his agent. His agent made a huge stink for him to get transferred from Liverpool and uh, accused the club of mentally abusing him hmm. and insinuating that they were not giving him first-team opportunities and that when they requested that he be sold, that uh, he was told that not only will he be not sold, uh, he will be punished if the issue was pushed any further. Uh, so he accused them of mentally bullying, uh, I think was the quote, uh, his player. And uh, I couldn't believe that they decided that going from, you know, regardless of what you hear about the EPL and all the rowdy fans, the Prem is very sheltered with their players, okay? Like, you don't get the invasiveness that you get when it comes to Syria. Like, Syria, there are, you know, there are reporters coming to your house and knocking on your door. You know, there, there's nowhere to hide in Syria. So, for somebody so uh, interested in his client's mental health, I'll put it that way, um, 
to move him to a league where it is just a lot more blatantly uh, aggressive towards uh, their players is very interesting to me. Uh, and then the last one that I had that was pretty interesting was actually uh, Matteo Darmian uh, from Manchester United to Parma. Oh. I thought that was a really good move for Parma. Yeah, for Parma, yes, uh, he was he was linked with uh, for a very long time in the summer to return to Juve for uh, for how many years now it's been that he's been linked to go to Juventus and. To be, to be super honest, I'm, I'm very I'm happy that he went to Parma because I feel like that's more of the club that he can kind of rebuild his stature and get his kind of his form back from the days where he was kind of starting for the national team. I didn't think that Juventus were the right move for for him to kind of reinvent himself just because Juventus are in such a win now mode, especially with uh, continuing their trend of uh, winning Serie A's and to obviously push themselves more into the Champions League. So I think Parma is a perfect little landing spot for him because mm -hmm. there's not so much pressure on him to re kind of reinvent himself. I believe the deal was uh, a loan with, with an option to buy. So there's not too much um, really pressure on Parma to like do anything if he, if he falters too. They could just send him back to United and Man. it'll be kind of their problem at that point. Yeah. And uh, I mean... I don't, you know, I don't know the age range of anybody listening, but it was not too long ago where Alan Heliovic was definitely being linked to, you know, being that uh, what Frankie De Jong is now, essentially, yep. you know, and making those moves, and, and now he's found himself at AC Milan, and he is being loaned back to the Dutch league. Uh, yep. I just, I can't. I just, it's so sad to see talent like that falter. I mean, I, I mean, for like two or three years, like every single season when I was playing FIFA, when I was playing FIFA. <laughs> I, I would, I would, I would always buy him in Kareem mode just because he had that like super high potential and he was great on the ball and it like, yeah. and he was just like a fun like fun player to play with. And then like in real life, he just didn't live up to like you said, he didn't live up to those expectations and kind of wasn't at that at that tier of what we kind of expected from. Him. Yeah, and that's uh, I, and I guess the last note would be, uh, you know, you gotta Martin Skirtle. I mean, what a what a servant <laughs> to Atalanta. Uh, you Interesting know, transfer. The whole two-week uh, tenure there was, uh, of course, great. For those who don't know, uh, Martin Skirtle transferred uh, to Atalanta and uh, has had a bust-up with uh, with the coach and is now on his way to Istanbul. So, yep. uh, very, very bold move on his part. Did it last three weeks? Was it three weeks? I, I don't know if it was three weeks or two weeks. If somebody <laughs> wants to look that up for me, that would be great, but... What a what an interesting uh, what an interesting move there. So, uh, rounding up transfers, uh, you know, who do you think the most improved team is in uh, City? Um, I think most improved. I think it comes down to two teams, and I think mm. on one of them you're gonna really like the answer to. Mm. So it's Cagliari and Roma to Ooh, me were right. I think the most improved teams. Uh, I mean, you kind of saw the moves that Cagliari made, bring in not only Nangolan. Uh, they brought in uh, Marco Rogue from from Napoli. He's kind of like that more little offensive, little kind of tricky midfielder. Mm. I think that's a solid move. Uh, they brought in a new keeper in Olsen. I know he wasn't really a fan favorite in Roma when he was playing, uh, but he's still a solid keeper for a club like Calgary. Uh, I think he can definitely, obviously, uh, they're hoping that he can start and really play well. Mm. Uh, and then the last two kind of young younger signings, um, uh, Simeone bringing, bringing him in from Fiorentina. Uh, when he gets fit, I'm, I'm hoping that we can kind of see him kind of uh, take his game to the next level, like he did at Fiorentina, kind mm -hmm. of lead that line and really kind of push himself. Mm -hmm. And then you had Luca Pellegrini, who used to play at, at Cagliari, was sold to Juventus in the summer, and then loaned immediately right back for the rest of the season so he can get some game time. Um, but that's kind of be the key one out of that team for me to look at. Pellegrini's uh, a youth international. He was the starter for the uh, under-21 team or the under-20 team during the last few tournaments. So a lot of people have their... Uh, 
kind of their expectations that he's going to be the new future left back of the Italian national team. Right. So that's definitely going to be one to kind of keep an eye on moving through yeah, the season, how he progresses. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to let you talk about Roma because obviously... Oh, you know well, I, you know, this podcast really wasn't supposed to go too long, but man, here I go. I'm going to take up some sweet time talking about my club. So uh, <laughs> we have, uh, you know, the most important signing, if you want to call him a signing, is our new sporting director. Obviously brought in from uh, Torino... Uh, Petrarchi as uh, and I totally butchered that because uh, I, yeah as Marcin knows uh, I will butcher Petrucci. anyone and everyone's name uh, it does not matter what nationality it is I will butcher a name and he's there to help me and that's exactly I mean you didn't know my name for like a good year at yeah least, I mean, it happens you know, you know? so uh, with you know saying that uh, you know if you look at all these transfers the reason that I say Roma had the best window is because, uh, and any of my followers on Twitter will uh, will know the phrase uh, Mongo Madness that uh, that carried on thanks to uh, Monchi uh, deciding that he was going to run us like some kind of second division club where he was going to bring in a whole bunch of younger transfers that might or might not work out and then we might get one. And, and you know, with a club of Roma size, that, was, that tactic just was never going to work. That's just not how you needed somebody who had Serie A experience you needed somebody who could be trusted, and uh, you know, you know, our our man here fits the bill. You know, at, all, at every capacity. Not only did he clean up a lot of the mess from last season, he's balanced our books. He's made some really smart pieces of business. Uh, you know, given there are several loans being made right now as opposed to permanent transfers, but as a team that's been burned in the past by big transfer fees and lack of performance, you know. Maybe that's not the worst thing going forward. Maybe that's something that you know we should be considering. So who's that one guy that you look at all the transfers in and out? Who's that one guy that you kind of saw transferred in mm. that really you think is going to have a huge impact this season? Oh, Paul Lopez. Paul I, lo- Lopez. I like him. I like him so much. I think he's a great keeper. Um, you know, I don't get me wrong. There are other players that I got excited when I saw come in, uh, but as far as the you know, as far as the play from last season, Roma were not that bad last season. Really, what it was was there were just so many howlers. That's what it was. We would dominate games, and then out of nowhere, you know, a shot would come in straight to, you know, to Robin Olsen's hands and just go right through or sneak under him. And you look at Paolo Lopez. Given, you know, he's been put in some pretty difficult situations in these first two games, and we've conceded a handful of goals for it, but. You know, as far as excitement goes, you know, that he just fits the build for me of, of a good keeper. He's got the height. He's got the mentality for it. He, you know, he just looks solid. You know, uh, obviously Mancini is one for the future in my books for it. Uh, he's good right now. Don't get me wrong. He keeps it simple. And uh, we love that. But uh, a leader, I think, that we signed was, uh, you know, was uh, Leandro uh, Spinazzola. Mm-hmm. I think he's a great shout. Uh, he keeps things light. You could see every picture. He's smiling with the players. He's keeping things active. And uh, if I could actually say one piece for Roma's window, uh, and, you know, some fans might back me on this one, and some fans might think I'm crazy, but one of the best uh, pieces of business Where was the mean? fact that we held on to two players. We held on to Zeko and we held on to Florenzi because with Zeko, there wasn't financially within our realm right now. What else were we gonna get that was gonna compare to that? You know, a yeah. a you know a nine, a solid nine that's been doing it for years. You know, underrated when compared to other forwards for me. Very true. 
you know, and you know, Florenzi, say what you want about him. First of all, I will say he's not a right back. I will say that every day of the week. He's yeah, not we, a right we back. We talk about this a lot. We talk, I talk about this every time the club gets brought up. That man sacrificed so many years of his career playing at right back as opposed to the advanced position that he is he is pretty talented at. Ah, I can't. I cannot with uh, with fans that are that get on his case about it. Just not for me. Uh, but yeah, definitely, uh, you know, Roma for me uh, smashed the window. Uh, they got everything they needed uh, essentially out of there. Uh, Could have done with uh, an extra forward or two, but you know that is cool. what it is. Uh, who had the worst worst window for you? Worst window. You go first. Since I all right. Last so all right, yeah, you did go first. So for me, and uh, the worst part has to be considered with uh, who they are as a club. So Torino for me had the worst window. Because Torino, uh, club of their status, they should be looking to get forward. They should be looking to, you know, build on what they had last season, and they should be looking to, you know, to continue and push on. But this window really just felt short of that for me. You know, their their transfers in, yeah, they had one or two good shots, but that, I think that's about it. I think they're definitely going to suffer when you look at clubs like Fiorentina, who brought in experience with Frank Ribery and uh, Kevin Prince Boateng. You know, they brought in some they may these guys might not play 90 minutes don't get me wrong but these guys these yeah. guys are also you know passing experience on to players who might be a little sensitive at the moment or players that aren't the most confident so you know i think torino had the worst one I, I think they're gonna slide more towards the 10th place slots and lower as opposed to carrying on and up the way they should have so in terms of my windows, it's not really the worst window, but I, I, I want to rephrase it that this is probably the the team that had the window that I kind of had more, I want to say, I was expecting more from them. I want to phrase it that way. Okay. And that's Atalanta. Okay. I mean, you had a team that is going to be in the Champions League this year for the mm. first time. And yeah. I think in the cl- club's history, if I'm, if I'm wrong, somebody can double check that for me. But you know you're going to be getting a lot of money from the Champions League, even if you just play through the group stages. I mean, yeah. bare, bare minimum, you're going to be making a ton of money from from TV rights, from a lot of different things. Yeah. And with that, I was kind of expecting them to kind of not shell out big money, not go like 50, 60 mil a transfer, but I was expecting them to bring in a couple players for 20, 30 mil and kind of re- really reinforce that team and add more depth to the team so they can kind of continue playing in the Champions League year in, year out. Uh, I was kind of hoping that Atalanta wouldn't become just a one-year wonder in the Champions League and a top four team, I want them to kind of, obviously, I want them to continue impressing just because that team's really fun to watch. If you watched yeah. Atalanta last year with Zapata, with Papu mm-hmm. Gomez, I mean, yeah. that was a deadly combo. That team knows how to play together. Um, and I was just kind of expecting them to add more depth and really add some more quality to that team, which I just don't think they added to mm-hmm. kind of keep them in those Champions League spots. Yeah. I mean, you saw Milan, you saw Inter, you saw Juventus, you saw Napoli, all of them, and Roma. You saw all of them really reinforce their teams this year. And I don't think Atalanta reinforced to that level that they can kind of maintain their status as a top four team, which is, like I said, I, I don't want to say they had the worst window, but I was the most disappointed in their transfer window out of all the clubs. Yeah, that's well said. That, and, you know, uh, part of that, you know, the added stress of playing those additional games often results in league form being sacrificed for it. So do you see them falling out of even that Europa League contention just Maybe. because of that? Maybe yeah. I do, just because yeah, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to kind of budget their time and their their players' energy and really focus more on the UCL games because they want to impress. Obviously, and, you, and obviously any team playing in the Champions, you want to advance out of the group stages at least. Um, but yeah, I, I I think they are gonna suffer a little bit and maybe drop out into that like six, seven, eight spot, kind of where we we saw them before. 
Um, just because, like I mentioned, you had those top-tier teams really re reinforce themselves and really kind of try to uh, maintain their status as those those Champions League clubs. So it's going to be interesting for Atalanta. Like I said, they still have a great group of core guys with Ilicic, with Papu Gomez, with Zapata. I mean, those those teams, that, that team is, has a lot of attacking talent. Um, they lost, obviously, Mancini was a very big key loss for them in that, oh, yeah. in that central defense. Definitely. Um, so we're going to see how the replacements and the guys that they kind of brought in to fill up those positions can do playing Champions League ball. Um, but it's going to be an interesting season for them. So I'm kind of hoping that they continue, uh, <laughs> by all means, continue playing in the Champions League. Right. But I just, I just don't see it coming next year. Ah, that's fair. So speaking of uh, speaking of transfers, you always speak of money, and uh, there's actually a point that I had that uh, I want to elaborate on a little bit. Uh, is financial fair play favoring certain leagues and by extension teams uh, unintentionally? You know, whether it be through bigger uh, bigger TV rights or sponsor contracts, there are. The rich clubs that just seem to be getting richer and there are the middle tier clubs that seem to be struggling to keep up with financial fair play right so it feels like a catch-22 because first I'll, I'll give my point in support of financial fair play is a club that's struggling is better than a club that's not around anymore because they can't afford to pay anymore obviously right. you know you have a lot of clubs that uh, you know were middle tier and they could afford to keep the lights on maybe, and then they went for it, they fell short, and then they had to, you know, disband as a club essentially. So given that, you know, but then you look at, you look at the disparity between uh, leagues. Now, uh, obviously the two of us really enjoy Serie A, and uh, you know, the rest of the world seems to really enjoy the EPL, and that's fine, and that's great. Uh, well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give them the credit, it's exciting football, but uh, with that, you know, Serie A is, second in tv revenue yep. uh, generated right uh however despite being second it's not even close it's not even close it's terrible it's not even close <laughs> it's awful you have a uh, key example here can you name me 11 players on huddersfield town i can't name you one on huddersfield town okay that's my point do you know where they finished last season nope yeah neither do i that's the point right huddersfield town Earned last season equally to Juventus. You're a fan. How many titles have they won? A lot. In recent years? A lot. <laughs> How many have they won? Undisputed. A lot. <laughs> That's my point. Okay? You're winning all these titles. Huddersfield Town was equal to Juventus in TV revenue. And that's a big deal for clubs, okay? Yeah. Bringing it back to Atalanta, they're going to get more club uh, money for the... Uh, for the TV rights than they've probably seen in the entirety of their club. Mm -hmm. All right, that's, sure. that's some serious cash that they have coming in, right? So, you know, and also put that in perspective, uh, you know, being second, that disparity is, is massive. Uh, Syria averaged $1 billion. I'm sorry, not $1 billion. I apologize. Uh, 1 billion euros in revenue uh, for broadcasting. But the Premier League... Average two point two seven billion. That's more than double. That yeah. is more than double funds going in, right? And that's that makes a big difference when it comes to balancing your books and trying to make aggressive signings. All right, so you factor that in with more exposure equals more sponsors wanting to be a part of you. So it's kind of this trickle down effect, right? So perfect examples: Liverpool. You know they're a great club. Don't get me wrong; I enjoy them as well for it, watching them play. Yeah, well, 
they're about to sign most likely one of the biggest sponsor contracts with Nike in football history. Yep. Right? Where is that for Juventus? Where is that for, you know, for my Roma? Where is that for Napoli, who's been completely restructuring their club? Well, the thing with, with the kit sponsorship that you actually just mentioned. So actually since, and it's still, it's such a huge difference, but still, even with after Ronaldo joined Juventus last year, Adidas's contribution to Juventus has almost doubled. So it's it went from uh, in, the, in the low 20s, I think it was like 21, 22 million uh, euros per season to I think it's almost more than doubled now in terms of their new contract with Adidas for the moving future. Um, mm. But like like you mentioned to your point, I mean that that's still not anywhere close to what these other teams <laughs> in the EPL are, are, are pulling in in terms of like like deals. Like before, I think Manchester United had the, had the largest kit deal. And like that, that wasn't anywhere close to even like the top tier teams in the Bundesliga in the Serie A. Like it was, it was nowhere near them. And yeah. you, and you wonder like why? And like it kind of comes back to this whole topic of financial fair play and how it helps out some teams and others. Exactly. So you know there are everything that gets put into effect always has an unintended consequence. I think this is one of the unintended consequences. You have historic clubs that are struggling to get TV revenue and by extension that sponsorship money, and now. You know, it's it's causing this, you know, the size disparity. You know, you want to keep the leagues competitive, sure, but you know, you gotta consider what you're also doing here. So that was just a point that I wanted to bring up. That was something that, you know, that came to mind. Uh so we're gonna move on to some bold predictions. Bold predictions. Bold predictions. I know you have one that I'm not a fan of. Bold prediction. And and you know, being a, a Juve fan, I'm sure it's not gonna be hard to figure out which one it is. Well, first, bold predictions, bottom three. Uh, I will go first on bottom three, and my bottom three will be uh, Leche, Bresa, and Udinese. How did I do on the pronunciation? I think I did pretty good there. I think that all right. Um, I mean, you did all right on the pronunciation, but you did horrible on the spelling. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking uh, at the yeah, notes. yeah. The notes are terrible. The yeah. notes are horrid. It looks like a three-month-old baby. Wrote yeah, um, generously. Uh, generously. So. <laughs> Very generously. Uh, yeah. So you didn't do that bad on pronunciations, Jusal there. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, what do we think on what do you, what do you think on yours? Uh, bottom three, I have two of the same ones you do actually. So, Lecce and Udinese are in also my bottom three. Okay. Uh, I went with Bologna uh, instead of Brescia in the bottom three. So, mm. pretty close to there, I, and I think that's what it's going to be like. Uh, I mean, after you watch Lecce play Inter, uh, I mean, I know it's Inter versus Lecce, but you saw them just get absolutely pummeled for ninety minutes, and I mean, that's <laughs> that's what it's going to be like moving forward. I think for a lot of their games. Uh, they might sneak out a point or two to kind of agitate some of the big boys in, in the <laughs> league. That's kind of be that's going to be the role this year. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think any of those. I, honestly, any of those four clubs, I can see them going down this year. Yeah, right? you, you know, Bologna up at sixth place. You don't think they're going to finish up at sixth place? You no. don't. You don't think they're going to keep that momentum going? No. Early days for them. No. Uh, <laughs> all right. You what, can sneak days? out. A, you get. You can sneak out an, an early win in the beginning of the season, but that doesn't mean much moving forward. All right. So since I went first on bottom three, why don't you go first in your top four? Uh, okay. Top four. So top four. Obviously, being a Juventus fan, I'm putting you at top, number one. That's that's big not surprise. That's big not, shocker. That's not gonna right. change. Big shocker. Uh, I think they reinforce the team well. I think they have what it takes to kind of keep the dominance in the league exactly where it's been and it should be for the next foreseeable future. I want mm. Juve to win. 30 more titles in a row. Mm. Uh, so I think Juve are going to win it. Uh, I do have Inter at number two, okay. just because of the additions that they made, uh, especially with the addition of having a head coach like Antonio Conte. Ah, I mean, I loved, I loved him at Juve. <laughs> uh, it pains my heart to see him at Inter of all places, because he was such a, a huge Juventini. Mm. Um, 
But yeah, so I have Inter reluctantly at number two, very reluctantly. <laughs> um, I'm putting Napoli as my third team. I think uh, just based on general observations I've made from the first two games, I mean, their defense has been very leaky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that unless they write that ship, I mean, that team's just been putting in goals left and right. I mean, you'd expect mm-hmm. something different from them yeah. with the signings they made. Uh, and then I do actually have Roma as my number four club. Oh. So I have Roma sneaking at the Champions Ooh. League. I, I, like I mentioned before, I really like their window. I like what they added. I like the all the kind of squad players they added in, some new starters. And I think the mix of players, once they kind of get their bearings and get kind of situated with the club, I think they're going to really push in. I think they'll, they'll have some Champions League football for you next year. I hope so. I hope so. You know, and as much as it made me happy that you threw Roma into, into your top four, uh, I'm about to upset you a little bit. And I'm going to go with uh, Inter surprising everybody and taking the title this year. Yeah, I think um, Oh, yeah, probably, yeah. So Inter have an excellent squad one. Uh, they have some players that want to be there. And I think that's something that sounds really silly. But for so many years, it feels like they just kept trying to get players in. That just didn't seem like they were all in on the project. And uh, when you have a coach like Antonio Conte, he... He just gets you on board. It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter what you think personally. He's going to get you on board. And if you can't, you're going to be out by January anyway. Yep. You know, so he is that coach. And for that reason, I would take uh, Inter as winning. Okay. Uh, Juve at second. Oof. Just missing out. Just Oof. missing out if it, if it makes you feel any better. Oof. And uh, I will be going with Roma at third. Ooh. Yeah, so I'm going with Roma. you your own horn a little too hard over there? Yeah, a little bit. So... Between the transfer window uh, and what I've seen this season, uh, a signing that I didn't throw in my transfers that I should have uh, was uh, their new their new man, their new head coach, uh, Franceca. Mm-hmm. What what a difference that somebody who is lead, grabbing these young players by their collars and leading them towards where he wants them to go. Now, don't get me wrong. Last year, we had uh, Abuiso, and that's fine. And he's a great coach. EDF was a was a good shout, um, but it always felt like when things went wrong, and you're a player looking at your coach for an answer, and you see that bewildered look with, that he wears with his glasses, uh, <laughs> not exactly instilling confidence. And that's not meant to be a big personal dig at him because I like him as as a, as a coach. Um, it's just that with Fonseca, like just straight away, first session he came in. He was yelling at the players during the roundups. He was getting them in. He was getting them, you know, invested in it. Now, I do have uh, Napoli as fourth because, like you said, um, I don't know what it is between uh, Kulebali and uh, Manolas, but they just don't seem to be settling in well together. It's early days for them, but, you know, every point counts, and they just seem to be gifting them at this point. Um with that, the reason that I didn't go with Milan at all in there is because despite them having a pretty decent window, in my opinion, um, there's just still, like I said, it, being a club in a state of flux is never easy. True. Um, but, you know, their players, the same way that Conte and Fonseca can get you to buy into their program and buy into what they want you to do, it just doesn't seem to be doing the same at Milan. You know, it just doesn't seem to be sitting well with them either. Yeah, I think... Um... Kind of to your point, they're still in that little period of flux that they don't have those. Everything kind of figured out for themselves yet. And especially with the transfers, yeah, they've had some pretty solid players brought in. And obviously, some players left. Um, but I just don't think they kind of have it all kind of set up all together in the right direction yet. 
not to say that they can't by the end of the season, because like I said, they did bring in some some pretty talented players in, in, in the offseason. Absolutely. Um, but I just don't I just don't see them putting it all together over the course of an entire season. Uh, yeah. Like, and it kind of boils down to my original point of saying that the top teams have really reshelled and really kind of like buckled down and refocused. Yeah. Roma spent a, a, a ton of their window like doing transfers in and out. You had Napoli bringing in new players. You had you had Inter bringing in new players. You had Juve bringing in new players. Yeah. And I, I and to the point of like, yeah, Milan did some good business, but did they do it enough to keep up with those other guys? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, with all love to John Paolo, yeah, love the guy. But uh, so carrying on with that, uh, which club within again early days? Uh, we're out of the bold predictions, and we're into early days for Syria. Uh, what clubs impressed you so far? Um, so I'm gonna go, no shocker here, but I have a reason. So I'm gonna go with the Juventus impressing me. So you have two reasons for that. One is, so Maurizio Sarri has been sick with pneumonia for the past two or three weeks. So he hasn't even been on the bench yet. So Juve have won two games, uh, a pretty sketchy game against Parma, 1-0 on the road, and then a home game with Napoli in, in round fixture two. Obviously, Koulibaly's own goal kind of helped them out and kind of gift them three points. But you had two wins out of two without your head coach even leading you in a single game. You had his assistant coach. So that's one reason. And two, you really saw a completely different Juve from what you saw last year. Now, some, some fans that have followed me on Twitter and kind of talked to me knows that I really liked uh, Allegri as a coach. I think, I think he did a great job at the club. Um, I mean, he's one of the most trophy-laden <laughs> <laughs> managers of all time of Juventus' history. So I, he, he didn't do that bad of a job, in my opinion. Um, but at, at certain points last season, it kind of became a little tiring to watch Juventus because you kind of knew what they were going to do. It was a lot of possession-based football. There wasn't too much flair and creativity. It was kind of more like dump it off to the wings and have a, have a, have a wing back or somebody on the, on, the, on the edges of the pitch just dunking across and try to have Mandzukic or Ronaldo kind of headed. There wasn't, there wasn't <laughs> yeah. that creativity that I wanted. And with Sadi, yeah, like he hasn't been on the bench, but you see that flair, that kind of style of play being more implemented now. I mean, Juve, within, like, within the first 60 minutes, were up 3-0 on Napoli at home. I mean, you don't usually do that in games. Like, yeah. no, no team really puts three past them within, like, an hour's worth of football. Yeah. Um, so I, I think they've impressed me just from the standpoint of, like, they're gathering that football, that new style of football that Sadi's trying to bring into the club. And I, I think it's been really impressive to do it without a head coach and to do it within a, a couple months of the summer so far. Because, I mean, Saudi has a tendency to really... <laughs> Uh, take a little bit of time yeah. <laughs> implementing his football. A, a lot of players take more time to grasp it, Definitely. and I think you're seeing some pretty solid resort results. Excuse me, um, in the opening two fixtures to kind of be like, hey, this is going to work over the course of the season. Yeah. So for me, <clears throat> team that is impressed, Genoa. Genoa has impressed uh, specifically because they like really quietly went about their business. Um, you know, with it, uh, they do. They did sign my boy uh, Sean from uh, shot uh, from AX, rather. Yeah. Uh, so he's a great shot. I know he's 33. He's getting up there, but uh, for a mid-table club like them, like, he's a great piece of business. Uh, you know, they do have a really. Uh, I'm a big fan of the uh, three-five-two that they play, and uh, I was really upset when they took points from Roma on the first day of the season. And you know, your first instinct is, oh well, it's more of the same. They're letting goals in, and you know, they shouldn't be, but. This team just fights, and I think we're going to see them do pretty well this season. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to crack that, you know, that Europa contention of maybe the top five or, or I'm sorry, the top uh, six or seven spots. They might, you know, fall right underneath that. But 
for a team that you know is known to struggle and you know the I, I like to call them the friendly guys of Syria. You're never really concerned <laughs> about them, but you don't have a, a negative opinion against them. Uh, they're they're a team that you know looking at them. I think they're going to do just well this season, and I really hope all the best for them. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you, and I have a little bit of a, a vested option into watching some Genoa games just because one of their center backs, uh, Christian Romero, who's their, their right-sided center back, is owned by Juventus. He was actually mm-hmm. bought by them and then loaned directly back out for the season. So he's definitely one to watch for the future of <laughs> at least Juventus. For it. So I have a little bit of a personal little inquiry into watching some Genoa games throughout the season just because I want to see what he'll develop like. Uh, but yeah, like you said, that team's kind of like you mentioned, went quietly about their business throughout the summer. And mm-hmm. yeah, that, I think they're a, they're a fun team that's going to be to watch. Kind of like Atalanta and Sampdoria are fun teams to watch in the Serie A. I think there'll be another one of those fun teams to watch this year. I mean, they, they use that Kiontech money really well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, most definitely. So, uh, club that has struggled. Okay. So, I'm going to start with uh, a lot of, uh, I mean, kind of not a big surprise for me, but uh, Napoli. Just because I, their defense isn't really what I expected in the first two games of the season. Definitely. I mean, it's been they gave up what seven goals in, in the first two rounds so far, and yeah, I know that you you have a new center back pairing to go along with Koulibaly and Manolas, but you kind of expecting like a guy that's that good and, and another center back that that's good to kind of gel together a little bit quicker and to kind of get some uh, look a little bit sharper. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was expecting this Koulibaly Manolas partnership to really kind of take off and be this solidify <laughs> golem of a defense right but it really hasn't been through those first two rounds and it kind of shows and then it kind of shows the uh the holes that they have elsewhere in the squad in, in terms of the midfield and just being tactically sound and defensively kind of all together and they're not there right now uh, obviously it's it's two rounds into the season i mean they got i mean they showed a lot of heart fighting back from three no mm-hmm. down to tie it up against juventus and very unlucky yeah. to get that kind of goal to <laughs> an own goal by Koulibaly. Right. Um, but they need to get that kind of stuff together real quick. Uh, they need to sort that, sort out that defense and really get those two guys syncing up together. Because if, if if they're going to keep playing like this, uh, it's going to be your prediction is going to be accurate, and Napoli are going to be fourth. Yeah, really quickly. Oh, for sure. So I I went with Napoli as well. Um, early days again. You know, there's not you know there's not a lot you can say for them for it. I just hope they sort it out. I I really definitely am under the impression that they've been struggling in particular. Um, Aside from that, uh, you know, I just really hope that, uh, you know, a, a club the size of, you know, of Milan could, could kick things up. I, don't, I obviously don't want them to be kicking it up too hard because, uh, you know, my team to do pretty well. We're kind of at the same level at this point. Um, but, you know, aside from that, I, you know, Milan would be my only other shout where I just, you know, for Gianpaolo, I really hope they sort it all out too. You know, I just hope they get the team moving in the right direction because they're a great historic club, and I never had a problem with them, uh, and I just hope they do well. So, uh, And a more sour note than that, uh, of course, if we talk Serie A, we have to talk Lukaku's abuse yep. and the fallout since then. Yep. So for anybody listening, uh, you know, Lukaku was obviously given a monkey chance uh, when Inter were playing... Uh, my poor my poor pronunciation oh, continues. Just keeps yeah so uh you know he was given his you know he's given the monkey chance and which would be terrible um if not horrible considering uh that it happened last year to moise can it happened uh this is this has been a kind of like a reoccurring theme with 
fans of Calgary. I mean, they're, they've kind of been, at this point, labeled the, the racist fans, if you want to call it, of Serie A. I mean, it happened to Sully Montari. It happened to Blaise Matuidi. It happened to Moise Keane. It happened to now Lukaku. There's been a, a history of, of this happening to to black players it, when they play there. And, I mean, you're, you're really, really expecting not only the club, and but the league in general to kind of do something about this at this point. It keeps continuously happening. And just the excuses that I'm reading from from in, from Inter fans alone, like I mean, you had the uh, the Curva from from Inter write out that uh, in, in a letter, in a public letter that that they were apologizing that Lukaku thought it was racist. It's like I'm sorry that you thought it was racist. It's like and and their their backing and their knowledge and their kind of like their mentality about it is like oh that's just how we do things here. We do it to throw off the opposition, and that that's not how that's not, it's how not it's, acceptable. No, <laughs> at all, at, at all, socially. Like like not only should Cagliari be be held accountable for these kind of chants, but if 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 Inter are, are are publicly their their supporter sections are publicly writing out this information. They should get sanctioned too at this point. I mean, mm, those sections shouldn't be. Yeah. I, I don't think those sections should then be allowed to to watch games. I mean, I yeah. think if you're going to be not not properly behaving yourself at, at a football pitch or a football ground, you shouldn't be there. Um, and that, that's just how I feel like that should happen. I mean, I, I think there should be definitely some tough sanctions kind of imposed especially on calorie because it happened in their arena and at their stadium yeah. this has been a historic trend there for the last few years yeah uh, i mean a good a good example would be that juventus just put in uh, a camera system in their stadium to find out uh, unruly fans so juventus if, if you're doing monkey chants at the juventus stadium or you're doing something incorrect at the stadium there's a camera it's going to catch you and then you're going to get banned you're going to get taken yeah. out so then they'll know and that should be the bare minimum that we should have in in all stadiums in Serie A. i mean we need to be able to find these people that are acting like like a bunch of clowns, to be super honest, and get them out of these arenas because that that's unacceptable behavior nowadays. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, you know the whole argument from the club that well, it's not all of us that are being racist. It's just a couple people that show up to the games is the worst argument that I've ever heard yep. uh, in any in any context of football. Like, there's no room for it at all in the game and. You know, of course, you know, nobody's expecting anybody to be a, a social warrior and, you know, go tap some random stranger on the shoulder and say, hey, you shouldn't be doing that, right? But the idea of not only the club, but the league as well, hiding behind this whole, well, if it didn't distract from the game or if it, if it was too unindistinguishable, like, that is ridiculous, you know? There was a video put up on Twitter not too long ago uh, where a Englishman actually went to that game and was sitting behind the uh, behind the section that was doing it, clear as day, just clear as day, very distinct, and horrid, horrid. I mean, you, just, you saw Lukaku's reaction after he scored the goal. He just stared at the fans, just like Moise Keane did last year. They did the it. exact same thing. Yeah. And then you saw a screener shushing the fans. Like yeah. they 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 can hear it. They know what's yeah. going on. But like that, like you said, that's that's unacceptable. And I think the only. Uh, the only, and I don't mean to sound like I'm taking any digs at uh, Bonucci or anything along those lines, but, uh, you know, the, the only positive you could take away from that is when you look at the way Lukaku celebrated and Skrinier came over and, and shushed the crowd as opposed to Moise coming over, doing the same celebration, and Bonucci criticizing him for it. Sure. That is, that's a real pot. And that's, I think for me, that's what separates you as, as a leader and a captain. Uh, you know, backing any, it doesn't matter what, you know, if somebody is saying something along those lines to your teammate, it does not matter what you think, what you think is irrelevant, what your player, what your teammate is going through is what's relevant. You, you back up your teammate every single time. Every day. 
So that's you know that's all we're gonna say about the about the Lukaku abuse um, because it has been very well covered and it doesn't belong. And I you know I just feel like the more we talk about it, the more it's gonna give it some representation. Very true. So that's concluding Syria specifically. Uh, so concluding Syria, we're actually just gonna round up with some internationals. So as far as internationals, we're gonna go into Germany versus Netherlands right now. So Germany struggled. They did, and it's been kind of like a reoccurring theme since the last World Cup. Yeah. Uh, I think that they're just not... I don't know what it is in that locker room, whether it's unrest. I mean, you saw Der Stegen's comments yeah. that he was not happy that uh, he still doesn't have the one shirt. Even I mean, Der Stegen's a world-class keeper. Yeah. And he and I get it that it's Manuel Neuer that's in front of you, but I don't think it's the same Manuel Neuer the last few years. Not at all. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I think Der Stegen should be starting, yeah. and he's not happy about it, and he's made it pretty vocal. And yeah. I think... There's other aspects that are just like that happening in that locker room that we can't see. That there's players that feel like they should be playing, or whether it's just the players don't have the same exact confidence of the coach, considering their last poor kind of run of results. Not recently, but I mean, stemming from that last uh, tournament appearance, they haven't really been at that same level. Mm. Um, so I don't know what it is. I can't really pinpoint what it is exactly, whether it's uh, the coaches' formations or it's, it's locker room unrest. But there's just something not right about this this German team in, in general. Yeah, I you know I agree for it. I I just don't think Jurgi Lowe has the confidence of his players anymore, and if he does, uh, even worse so, just because they just don't seem to be having a formula to get to the back of the net, and you know that's what that's how you win the game. Like I get it, you know you want to you want to stay compact and organized, but this team thrived by just eating and destroying other teams. Yep. And, you know, for Jurgi Lowe's side to not be doing that anymore and to just seem vulnerable on so many levels, it's just, whew, just very, very interesting. Very I mean, that, different. that team's got the talent. I mean, it's, it's on paper, you can, you can argue it's a top five team easily in the yeah. world with, I mean, just the attacking, like, players they have alone that would, would fill up any national team. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, you're right. They just, they just can't get it together. And it's, yeah. it's really weird. And, you know, unfortunately for Jurgi Lowe, that typically falls on the manager's shoulders when that happens. Yeah. And a lot of um, people made the case that he should have been fired after last tournament, and they got bounced out of the group stages. Yeah. So we're, we're going to see if that kind of uh, is what's going to happen after the next tournament in the Euros. Yeah. Clever man, that Jurgi Lowe. Scapegoat your players and keep the job. That's fine. Yep. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Netherlands contenders for the Euro Cup. Uh, yeah, for me, they're... It's so interesting for a team that does not have a, a defined nine in there, right? So you have Memphis Depay floats around that center forward position. Quincy Promise, same thing. Uh, Ryan Bubbles, just an out-and-out -out winger for himself. But like for a team that doesn't have an out-and-out -out forward to be doing the numbers that they're doing is, is insane. It's like that production, Jorginho Wijnaldum just making a case for himself as an amazing center midfielder. That guy must have like five sets of lungs. There's no other way you're making yeah, it up. That, guy, the pitch run, like that. that guy can run all day. Oh my goodness. Insane. But I mean, to your point, I mean, yeah, they don't have an out-and-out -out striker, but I think they make up for it other places in the area. Like you mentioned, the midfield and the defense. I think that's that's a world-class midfield with not only Vajinaldum, but then you have Frankie de Jong in that midfield also. And then that defensive pairing of uh, Van Dijk and De Ligt. I mean, that's... That's 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 the main spine of your team, and that's that's the foundation of what you're gonna kind of build on to kind of push them forward. I mean, I would love to see a Netherlands France Euro final. I mean, ideally Poland would would be in that okay, final, but all right. uh, but that's just me having all some right. high dreams. Um, <laughs> but realistically, I mean, I would love a Netherlands France final. That would be a, such a tremendous game to watch. Um, oh, absolutely, like that. I think that would be the the pinnacle of of the next Euros. Yeah, absolutely. So. 
Uh, you know, so Netherlands for me, absolute contender. Uh, you know, and then also want to look to acknowledge the fact that you know if you have if you have a solid defense, a solid midfield, and your front line's looking a little shaky, that's going to get you a lot more further than a shaky midfield defense and amazing forwards. Yep, very true. And uh, so now that I said that's a great transition into ranking. Uh, this is not scripted at all. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, the ranking the the uh, attacking uh, formations for or, or attacking trios, trios. I guess we yeah. would call them attacking trios for Euro 2020. So for Portugal, we have João Felix, Cristiano Ronaldo, Bernardo Silva. Bernardo Silva. Yeah. For for England, you have Sterling, Kane, and Jadon Sancho. Ooh, and for France, you have Mbappe, Giroud. Griezmann. Germany, we would list Royce, Timo Werner, and Serge Gnabry. For the Netherlands, my favorites, we have Babel, Depay, and Promise. And then Spain will round off with Isco, Rodrigo, and Asensio. So how do you rank that? I mean, I kind of rank it how we kind of... How we kind I of think so. It. I think that's yeah. pretty fair. I think I that's... Mean, I, I, would, I would rank that Portugal front three as the best ones. I mean, like, yeah, individually, you can kind of argue some players are better than others, in, but I think collectively as a group... I think Felix, Ronaldo, and Bernardo Silva are, are a perfect trident. I mean, you have Ronaldo who's just going to be all over the pitch. He's going to start in that left wing. He's going to roam left and right. He's just he's just a goal scorer. I mean, he's got 89 international goals. The guy just doesn't stop scoring them. Uh, you have Zhao Felix who's just going to kind of dictate that tempo. And then Bernardo Silva is just kind of, he's going to do everything. He's going to run all around that pitch. He's going to chip and assist, score some goals. I, I think he's one of the best mids you can, you can potentially get in the game today. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, and uh, I think the only... Solid argument, uh, aside from that one, would be uh, Sterling Kane Sancho because if you yeah, look that's at tough. that's a good, that's, good one. it's a it's a tight comparison because the argument you make for Portugal is you have the youth of Felix, the you know the validity of Ronaldo and you know the cleverness of uh, Bernardo Silva, yep. but you can make the same argument for for England in the fact that you have the youth of Sancho. You have, you know, the goal, uh, goal scorer in Kane, and you have the creativity of Sterling coming in and, and hitting those those passes off. But we could say the same thing for France too, though. You could, but <laughs> the and you know and and so on and so forth. We can and do this so on day. and so forth. But this all day. the difference is, you know, Ronaldo is at the end of the day the guy's a proven winner. The guy yep. will not shy away from any responsibility, and that's the that's the guy you want leading your front line. So, I. Uh, Netherlands still a favorite for me, uh, catching catching this year of twenty twenty, uh, but Portugal great shot as well for it. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think that's you know that wraps up Euro, and uh, I think that wraps everything up for us. So thanks for listening for Top Ends Talk. Cool. We're gonna catch you guys uh, next time. Uh, look out for some more content via our Twitter pages. Mm. Uh, I will post those later on so you guys can follow us. And if you have any other questions for us moving forward or if there's a topic that you guys want us to cover specifically, um, you can feel free to just add us on Twitter. Uh, we'll definitely uh, obviously try to get back to as many people as we possibly can. Uh, but we're always open for communication there. Cool? Cool. Later. Later.